This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast heard in 100 countries around the world and now ranked among the top 200 podcasts in the world by Chartable. Thank you for being with us again this week on Transit Unplugged In-Depth. And today we've got an exciting interview with the CEO of the Hillsborough Transit Authority in Tampa, Florida, Miss Adelie Legrand. She talks to us about her background and career and how she started out wanting to be in public transit, took her degrees that way, and moved right up in the industry working in the public and private sector. I think you'll find it a fascinating career story. And she talks about what she's doing now in Tampa to improve the day-to-day experience of passengers coming out of the COVID pandemic. This is a great interview. I know you'll enjoy it. On Transit Unplugged, Adelie Legrand, CEO of Hillsborough Transit Authority. We're excited to have with us today as our guest for this in-depth interview, Adelie Legrand, who is CEO of the Hillsborough Transit Authority in Tampa, Florida. Adelie, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. Adelie is a longtime transit executive and uh, expert in our industry. And just we just uh, talked recently at an APTA conference. And I said, Adelie, we got to get you on the show. So thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. We'd like to kick it off, actually, start off with just telling us something about yourself and your background and your career and, and how did you end up here at Heart? So it's an interesting story. It's one that I wouldn't think is so unique, but it seems like it is. I went to school to do this. So I went to That's very college. unique. <laughs> right. And it's the craziest yeah. thing, right? When you start school, you think everybody's going to graduate and do what they studied. But I have an undergraduate degree from Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland in industrial engineering. And then I have a master's in transportation studies from the same university. And I went to school. I graduated with my undergraduate degree in 91 and then the graduate degree in 92. And if you keep up with the years, you know that 1991, 92 was an important year for transit and transportation. And that's when I was learning all about the business. And we had our first big legislation about transit and I just got in transportation and I just got sucked in. So I've been in this space for my entire career. I've only worked in transportation and I love it. I'm originally from New York, Queens, New York and road transit. Didn't even know it was a special thing to have. It was kind of like brushing your teeth, right? You always knew there'd be some kind of toothpaste. For me, I always knew there was some sort of public transportation that I could take and get engaged with the rest of New York City, um, unabashed and probably now as an adult with four children of my own, I would not have necessarily agreed to let my kids roam the streets of New York City the way I was able to. But, you know, it afforded me such great opportunities to visit friends in different boroughs, go to different cultural events, shopping. Nothing was stopped me or prohibited me from experiencing everything that New York City had to offer. So fast forwarding as an adult doing this work professionally, right? When you're a user of the system, you don't really understand the nuts and bolts that goes behind making everything happen. You don't understand what what has to occur so that that bus shows up at that bus stop. Or when you get off the bus at the train station that the train is pulling in, like you just think it's magical and it just happens, right? Then when you do it for real as a profession, you realize there's so many moving parts and it's so much into making sure that everything works as seamlessly as possible, And when you move from big cities like New York or even Baltimore to cities like Atlanta and here and now in Tampa, you realize that the investment isn't there. And because of the lack of investment in public transit, the freedoms I had as a kid to just have fun, people don't have to like live their lives. So now it's become more than just a job for me. It's kind of like, I don't want to sound hokey, but it's kind of like a calling because I realized 
that if you don't have that access, it really makes your life a lot different and difficult to, you know, attain the greatest quality of life possible for you and your family. So that's what got me here. And that's what keeps me here. Yeah, Morgan State University in Baltimore, I worked with them to actually provide more transit on their campus and was very happy to, we interacted with their graduate program some for people who are working in transportation. So excited to see one of their graduates make the, uh, the top job in the industry. So after you graduated with your master's between then and now, what did you do in, in the transit industry? So when I left Morgan, I joined the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. So I went back home and I worked there for a while. Then I relocated to Georgia. I got married and I moved down to Georgia. And then I worked for the Georgia Department of Transportation. So public sector again. And then I did a short, I would say maybe uh, 10 years or so in logistics. So I did work for a Ford. Well, I worked at the Ford plant in Atlanta. There was a plant in Haightville, Georgia, and um, right outside of the city of Atlanta, And I worked for a company called Penske Logistics and kind of like in our space in transit, how you have an A&E firm that may provide full services or like a trans dev or an MV. Penske Logistics is similar in a logistics space. And we did all the logistics routing and route operations work for the automotive industry. And our client in that case was Ford. So I did that for a while. And then, um, Came back over to moving people and went to the A&E side. That was my first venture. I started with URS in 2002. And then I pretty much left that, I would call it, brand of engineering firm in 2016, leaving through AECOM. So that was an awesome experience. My almost 15 years working with the AECOM brand in that space in Atlanta. I was headquartered in Atlanta. I learned so much, worked with so many great clients And it's really one of those opportunities, those who are listening, there's so many opportunities where you can learn a lot. And working in the A&E space, especially for a top-notch firm, you get to work on all sorts of projects across the nation, all sorts of clients, challenges. You really learn a lot in a short period of time. So I was fortunate to do that. And then I left AECOM in 2016 and joined TransDev. Again, awesome experience to now be on the operations side. And... um, for those who don't know TransDev and what TransDev does is they provide operations, support, and services to transit agencies. So those agencies that outsource some of their services, TransDev and firms like TransDev would jump in and go after that work and provide those services to the community. So I was able to do that. And I worked for TransDev in New Orleans where they operated the entire transit agency there. And I served as their, as their chief strategy officer. And it was a great experience. I tell people, New York is a tough, right? I don't mean like physically tough. I'm not doing fisticuffs anywhere, but you know, we're tough people where we can pretty much survive in any environment, but then you're also pretty parochial. So if you meet someone from New York, the only city they like is New York city. Right. Um, but I fell in love with New Orleans and it's one of those places where the people are genuinely themselves. They're comfortable in their own skin. And if they like you, they like you. And if they dislike you, it is well. It's kind of like New York in that way. So I really enjoyed my four years there and I love that community. And that's when I got a taste of being in a transit agency, like getting up every morning, going into the agency. If there's a storm, the executive team has to show up during a hurricane and make sure we can do the evacuations and just always being present for festivals and just making sure that you have a real commitment, not only on paper, but with your time to the community and ensuring that the service is always running as long as it can, right? As long as it's safe to provide service on the street that we're able to do that. 
And I just really enjoyed it. So when my time was up in New Orleans, my contract ended with TransDev and I got reassigned. An opportunity came to come to Tampa and I was like, why not? This is a great opportunity to be in a transit agency again and to work with the community. So super excited to be here. Tampa's a great city. The employees here are super committed to the community. And I would say if you're looking for ingredients to make a transit agency successful, those are the main ingredients, right? Like making a cake. If you don't have butter, you don't have sugar. You can find, they have all sorts of fancy flours now. You can have regular wheat flour or almond flour or chickpea flour. I don't know. I wouldn't advocate for those kind of flowers. But nonetheless, if you have people who are committed to the community and you have access to real resources, information, training, you'll have the best transit agency possible. And that's what we have here in Tampa. So I'm super excited to be here. That's great. And when did you arrive there? I see. You. I came January 1 of 21. Very good. So in the pandemic, things were kind of upside down, but I'm also one of those people I would say my value is really someone who can come and help bring order to things that may be a little bit upside down. Unfortunately, here at Heart, we have had, before I got here, they had six different CEOs since 2018, I believe. And yeah, so it was really hard and disruptive for the organization. Then you couple that with the pandemic. People didn't really know who was on first or where they should be you know, focusing their attention, what were the priorities. So for me, though, that's great, especially having a career in the consulting side. Usually a consultant gets called when there's problems and the agency needs someone to fix it. So um, that's pretty much what my full-time job is, is identifying where we have opportunities and finding the right solutions. And that's what I've been doing since I hit the ground. Can you tell us some about the agency itself? What type of services you provide, what modes, ridership and and maybe even how you interact with Brad over at PSTA? Sure, sure. So we're primarily, I would say, a bus company midsize. We have approximately, I would say, 140 buses. Primarily, we provide fixed route transit. We also have paratransit. We do everything in-house, which I think is a little unique. Most transit agencies, I shouldn't say most, but several of them outsource at least paratransit. We do everything internally. We also have a streetcar system. That is, I would say it's probably around two miles and it's a loop and it goes from an area that's called Ebor City, which is a historic city here. And it goes down to the downtown area. I mean, the ridership on the streetcar system has been increasing. I wouldn't say over the last year, it was around 900,000 riders, which is really good because it is a pandemic and we didn't have that type of ridership in a long time. On the fixed route system for the end of FY21, We had ridership of approximately um, 10 million riders. Now, I would say, no, definitely that's lower than where we were before the pandemic. But before the pandemic, I would say we were at 13 million. So 9.7, 10 million to 13 million. We're not at the pre-pandemic numbers, but we're not looking bad at all. So I feel really good about our, our opportunities to increase ridership. I know not... Every transit agency is in this position, but I do think we're in a good position. We have 30 routes. I can say that two-thirds of our routes, our frequencies are 60 minutes, which is not great. It's not even good, but we had to make that adjustment to balance our resources with what we could actually put out in the street and be reliable. Like many transit agencies, we have a shortage in operators. I was just in a meeting yesterday. I believe we are short 70 operators. And then we need new buses, right? So 
it's hard to put out very frequent service without the funding for additional buses. But I would say getting funding for additional buses is easier than finding the 70 bus operators plus, right? Because it's kind of like a cyclical thing to keep folks engaged so that we can have the right amount of service out on the street. So that being said, with reduced service and still having upwards of 70% of our pre-pandemic numbers, I think we're doing pretty well. But it also shows that we are serving a community where people have to rely on transit. The other thing I would say is just the timing of our conversation because of the war that's going on in the Ukraine and what we all have to do as global citizens to show support for democracy, our gas prices are going to continue to go go up, right, to increase. And we know, Paul, just from historical knowledge that when gas prices increase, usually there's a direct correlation to transit ridership increasing. But think about our ridership increasing with 60-minute frequencies and a lack of resources to actually be able to put more service on the street. It makes it a little scarier than it was just thinking about everybody going back to work. So those are some of the challenges that we're really trying to noodle through and finding additional funding sources and creating an environment where we introduce transit as a career to the community in a way that is competitive with other employers, whereas right now we're not competing at that level. But I would say that some of it is, I would say most of it is is in our court because we're not marketing ourselves in a way that other organizations, companies market themselves to new employees. Interesting. So how are you, tell us a little bit about your, your governance structure there. You have a board of directors, are they appointed or elected? Tell, walk through that a little bit. So we have a board of directors, 14 members, and they fall in three categories. So our service, we're in Hillsborough County. Hillsborough County has three cities. Well, yeah, three cities, but only two of them are a part of our charter. So one is the city of Tampa, which is the largest city. And the other is the city of Temple Terrace. There's a city of Plant City, but they're not a part of our charter. So we provide service to all of Hillsborough County, Temple Terrace, and the city of Tampa. Um, Our board is structured where we have representation of each one of those cities, Temple Terrace, the city of Tampa, as well as the county. So we have four county commissioners on our board. We have the mayor of the city of Tampa. We have a council member from Temple Terrace, and then there are additional members from the county that are appointed, from the city that is appointed. And then there's two positions for governor. The two governor spots are vacant right now. One of our government gubernatorial appointees, yeah, was, thank you, was resigned, I want to say, maybe toward this fall of 2021. So we're just waiting on the governor to reappoint to folks to our board. So that's pretty much, if you put them in buckets, you have city of Tampa, Temple Terrace, the county commission and county representatives, and then two for the state. And do each of those jurisdictions put money into your budget? No. So we get our funding from an ad valorem tax, which is a property tax from Hillsborough County. That's our only funding source. We are going forward for a transit referendum. And when I say we, it's the county. It's not hard for a transportation referendum, which would generate additional funding for HART, and it will give us a local funding source. The unique thing about having Avalorum dollars as a local funding source, we can't, in the state of Florida, we can't bond against those dollars. So with the IIJA and all this additional opportunities for funding, discretionary funds, 
But we're really not in a competitive position because we can't use our Apple dollars to say, okay, we're going to move a big program forward and we're going to bond against it. We, we don't have that ability. So getting a surtax will really help us because then we can bond against those dollars, kind of move the Apple dollars from one bucket to the other and use that for some other sources and be able to advance our program a little faster. So we're hopeful it passed. I don't know. I'm sure you've kept up with this. It was on the ballot in 18, it passed, but then one of the county commissioners sued and said it was unconstitutional and he ended up winning. So we're going through the process again and hopefully it will pass again in November. And I guess they're going to adjust the wording of it so that it meets constitutional muster there or something. Yes. So my understanding is that it was placed on the ballot by citizens and not by the county commission and only the county commission can levy taxes and spend money. So now the county commission is taking ownership of the referendum. So. Gotcha. Yes. So what what are your plans now? I mean, you've got this potential extra funding source coming in, but what are your, what's your goals for the agency at this point? You know, it is not sexy. It is just going <laughs> back to the basics. So as I mentioned earlier, two thirds of our routes have frequencies of 60 minutes. Would love to get that down to, we have two thirds of our routes have frequencies of less than 30 minutes. So that is definitely a priority. In order to do that, we do need to purchase new buses. We need to build a new heavy maintenance facility. So we have the space and the capacity to bring in additional buses and be more efficient with refueling and getting those buses turned back around to get back on the street. Upgrading our bus stops and our stations with real-time information, making everything ADA compliant. Uh, We have several bus stops that are not ADA compliant. So when I say the basics, I'm definitely talking about just the bread and butter of running a really good system with great bus service, reliable service, and it's easy for people to navigate. So I would say those would be our priorities in the first five years. We are looking to extend the streetcar to go further into residential communities. So we're working on that as well. So I think increasing our bus service as well as increasing our streetcar alignment. We did just win a grant. I shouldn't say win, but we're awarded a grant to buy a new ferry vessel. So we have seasonal ferry service where we lease a vessel from New England, but we don't operate the service um, 12 months a year because the vessel has to go back up north. So now that we were awarded this grant, we're going to purchase our own vessel with the intention of operating ferry service between Tampa and St. Pete 12 months a year. So that's something, a new foray for us into the ferry space. So that is definitely something that would be on our list as well. You did ask earlier about our relationship with PSTA and Brad Miller. And I would say it's really a great relationship. Fortunately for me, I knew Brad before I got here and we're literally across the bay from each other. And we have a couple of routes that traverse both Pinellas County and Hillsborough County. And we are finding opportunities where we can work together to provide a better experience for our community. So um, very fortunate to have Brad right there across the water. And a great example of our collaboration, when the um, grant came out for the ferry, reached out to Brad because we're in the same UCA. So if we both went after the grant, we'd be competing against each other. And I asked him if he was comfortable with standing down because he had a project that he was going to apply for as well so that we could go after it. And he was willing to do that. And Paul, that's difficult in the region to get someone else who to say, well, I'll take a back seat and let you move forward with your project. And he did. And we received the funding. So I would say, again, that's a testament to Brad and his 
spirit of really being collaborative as well as us working together to do what's best for the community. Because this, again, this route goes from Tampa to St. Pete. So it's a win-win for both of us. And he really did the, I would say the right thing, but he did a very collegiate thing to get his board and his community to agree to let us move forward. And they waited for the next cycle. So next cycle, he'll go after the ferry grant and we won't. So that's just an example of how we're working really well together. You all in Florida have a great public transit association too. I've been blessed to be there and speak one time. And I know Brad, I think when I went, Brad actually was chairman that year. I think Clinton Forbes over in Palm Trans recently been president. And you've got some great leaders there like Nat Ford in the state of Florida and and uh, and others. Tell us some about working in that environment where you have supportive and, and a great association like that. You can work with other cities and transit agencies. Coming, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta, I guess, for maybe 24 years or so. And that's a huge region, right? And you have upwards of 20 counties that are working together to improve public mobility. What you see here in Florida is, and I don't know if it's because it's Florida and transit is not well known as a primary mode, but what you see is a real collaborative spirit. Like you I got here last January and I went to a Florida Public Transit Association meeting and it was like I had been here all my life. People just popped up and they were willing to help. And and not only FPTA, but also FDOT, their transportation and transit division, they're very supportive of transit. My experience, the DOTs are less um, supportive of transit, but here in Florida, they're very supportive. So I'll say that we've been very fortunate working with FPTA and all of the members and their leadership teams just noodling around what the challenges are, how we can work collaboratively, opportunities to put procurements out collaboratively so we can get the best bang for our buck. There's a lot of innovation that they're doing that I would say we probably aren't celebrating as much or even elevating, but it's just the way business is done here. So I I do think it's been really eye-opening for me. And then when you talk about FDOT as well, the fact that they are helping us find ways to access funds to build out transit and funds to support even operations of, of transit. It's really, 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 really good. And I talked about building a new heavy maintenance facility and that project costs $100 million. And I worked with my FDOT district to kind of brainstorm how we can get some money. And they helped me come up with a scheme where we could transfer some of the dollars from our work program over the next couple of years from bus and bus improvement to bus facilities and use it for the heavy maintenance facility. So basically what we did was got approval to transfer those monies from operations to capital for the next couple of years. And yes, it's not new money, right? I tell people I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul, but the fact that they're willing to sit down and figure out how we can make that happen and through doing that, and then them helping us work with the MPO to do the same thing with those dollars that the MPO has um, to move over to capital, we were able to get $50 million of state dollars through FDOT and the MPO. And then we got the county commission to give us, agree to give us $15 million, and then Hart put in the balance. So we got $75 million for a heavy maintenance facility in hand. We're going after grants for the last 25%. But again, That's what I'm saying. Like they're willing to sit around the table, be collaborative and find opportunities for us to advance our projects. So it's it's a great environment. I really enjoy it. 
That's great. Last question is looking to the crystal ball, putting on your hat where you would look to the future for our industry as a whole. You're you're fast becoming an industry leader, not just in at your agency and not just in the state of Florida, but really nationally. I've heard your name mentioned in numerous conversations I've had with other CEOs around the country about some of the things you're doing there that are very forward-leaning. Take us where you think transit needs to go over the next five to 10 years as an industry. Paul, one, thank you for the kind words. I'm one of those people. I, I came up in the business doing the work, right? So when you just know how to do the work, you kind of forget about how people see you or even the impact you make because you're not thinking about it at that scale. So I appreciate those kind words. But for me, I do think this is a time for us to retool and think about how we're providing service. I had a conversation last night with a former boss of mine, Jose Bustamante, and he likes to, yeah, he likes to check in on me. He's a great guy. And um, I was telling him, like, if you think about the way the buses are designed, right, forget about what's inside of it, just the outside, the shell. Imagine if your car, the cars that we drive today, that the design of our cars had not been updated since 1980, right? Pretty much the buses I was riding in New York in the 80s, pretty much the same design of the buses that are on the street today. But we're trying to attract a new customer base to use our service. But as an industry, we're not making it clear that we need to change the design of the actual vehicle that we're using to attract people. The airline industry has done it. You get in the planes to get today. Seats are different. It's configured a little differently. We're really not doing that. If we're talking about the customer experience, people are bigger. It seems like we're using the same the 85th percentile of an adult male from 19, you know, 65 yeah. to determine the size of our seat. So we really need to take a step and think about what is the customer experience like? Who wants to sit next to someone if the seat is not really conducive for you to really fit in there? Who wants to squeeze past someone at your bus stop because you have those two seats that are facing forward and it's hard to maneuver? Are we really designing things for people to get on and enjoy the experience? Or are we just trying to pack people in like sardines? So that's one. Um, the other is how are we marketing the service that we provide? I think we spend a lot of time trying to attract people who already ride transit, where we're not selling the value of transit to people who will never ride it. And the reason why I think that's a, a challenge is because in most cases, the funding that we get, we're getting that funding from folks who don't ride transit, right? So if it's a Ad valorem tax in most communities, you have people who are paying property taxes who are not riding transit on a daily basis. If they are riding transit, it's not their primary mode of transit in many communities. If it is a sales tax, you have lots of people who are paying the sales tax. And again, several of them may not be riding transit. So why is this important? If you think about a public hospital, back going back to Atlanta, Grady Hospital was a public hospital. They have big campaigns to get people to feel excited about the fact that in your property taxes or in a line item tax, that you're spending money to support the public hospital. Not because you ever want to go into public hospital. You don't ever want to be sick or be in a bad car accident and have to get medevac there. But you see that that is a great public asset to the community and you feel great about being able to support it because of all the good it does in the community. Public transit needs to be elevated in the same manner. We need to talk about it as a great public asset and why it's a great public asset and how it supports the community. But we can't just talk to people in transit about this. We need to start talking to people who never want to get on a bus and explain to them why this is the greatest thing 
in the community and why we need to support it and why we need to talk about it so that more people understand its importance and want to fund it. And I think not until we can start changing the conversation, stop talking to people who we know are going to be in agreement start to bring people over to the, I guess you can say, other side of realizing the importance of public transit will always be this this industry where we're begging and pleading for people to give us more money and more funding. And I don't think that's sustainable. And then lastly, I would say it's also how our vehicles are positioned in the community. There's this, and it's across the board, it's not just in Tampa. There's this, I don't know when this happened, but this whole school of thought that the best way to advertise and get advertising dollars for transit is to wrap our vehicles, fully wrap our vehicles in some sort of advertisement. And I say to people, if you went to take a flight and you were sitting in the airport looking out the window and you were getting on a Southwest flight and the whole vehicle was wrapped in camel cigarettes, would you be like, oh, this is so cool. They're wrapping the vehicle in camel cigarettes. Or would you be like, what is going on? Now think if the whole vehicle was wrapped in some sort of accident ad, or you would start to think like, "Mm, I don't know if I should get on this plane because they're saying if we have an accident, these are the people who I should call. But we do this in transit with our vehicles. And there to me, I just don't understand why we allow this to happen, but we have to find a better way to advertise But the brand of our vehicles needs to be its own brand and the community needs to see it as its own brand. Just like the hospital is not going to be wrapped in syringes. It's going to say the name of the hospital and the great services they provide. That's what we need to do. We need to market and brand public transit in a way that it's a community asset and not make it a big billboard for advertising. So I will end it on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are some great con- concepts, Adelie. Really appreciate you sharing them. I've never heard anybody say that directly like you have. I always felt the same way. Why do we have lawyers' ads about if you get hurt, call this number? <laughs> right. So imagine that on an airplane, right? Wrapped yeah. on an airplane. If you get hurt, call this number. Immediately yeah. you're thinking, well, we're going to crash and I'm not getting on that plane. So yeah, yeah we got to do something better. And I, I do want to say that I'm not opposed to advertising because I don't want right. advertisers to hear this and start picketing me. But there's all sorts of ways we can do that. There's push advertisements. We at heart have a closed Wi-Fi network. We all know when we open our phone, depending on where you are, a Starbucks ad might pop up. You can read an article, another ad pops up. Yeah. There are other ways we can do it outside of wrapping our vehicles. Very good. Well, we wish you the very best as you continue to improve operations there and try to get some new funding and grow the service and decrease the headways and all the things you're working on. Sounds like you've got plenty to do over the next few years there. We do. And I'm very fortunate that I have the opportunity to do it here in Tampa. Thank you, Paul, for the opportunity to talk to you. This has been great. Thank you, Adelaide. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth with our guest, Adelie Legrand. CEO of Heart in Tampa, Florida. Next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we have Paul talking with Rich Simpson of the Southwest Transit Association. If you have questions, comments, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.